Good afternoon. Welcome to I Spit on Your Graves, the nature episode. If that sounds quizzical, you'll understand why once we get into stuff. Uh, my name is Faye. I'm joined, as I am every single time, by Mercer. Hello. And Christopher. Hello. Today we will be deep diving into our nature picks, which was a very hard thing to pick, if you ask me. Um, so much vagueness around this subject and so little film to choose from. It's almost like we didn't really consider that when we were deciding what genre to cover. But what is funny is when we picked the genre fair, one thing you said were, there's going to be lots of chasers for this one. <laughs> but clearly I was wrong um I mean for my pick I I'm 100% positive I did not understand the assignment because there's not I don't even think it's nature now what do, <laughs> what do they always say read the question don't answer the one you want to answer answer the one you're given I wanted but I was told I was not allowed to do this pick different anthology stories because I thought that would make a decent nature film in it, on its own so I wanted to pick you can't just pick the best bits from different films this was the only way I could see of getting around it I wanted to pick um Stephen King's one from Creepshow and then The Raft from Creepshow 2 you could have had uh Simon Rifkin's story from Ghost stories, and there was another one. Four would have made, I, I see you holding up your hands, Mercer. Four would have made a film. I can't remember what the fourth one was, though. It may have made a film, but how would you ask people to vote on a film when it's four different films? You're actually, you would be giving yourself a major advantage because, you know, people, we already know Ghost Stories won an episode. So imagine that, a, a, a segment of Ghost Stories reappearing. We know people are going to vote for that. Also, when, when, it, when it came to the assignment, we said nature. My mind just went Mother Nature. So anything that could be controlled by, um, like, the elements or the earth or something like that. So, so in my mind, I think we did pick films that fall under nature mine the least i'd say um i did i did also consider what chris picked but then decided to go with this one like a fool don't know why i did it um but yeah anyway how have we been um anyway what have we been up to this will come as a shock to anyone who ever listens to this show but i spent like the last um tail end of last week wrapped up on my sofa ill again you're right sickly bradley i know right i'm always ill it's, it's ridiculous it's pathetic don't know what don't know what to tell you mercer i don't i don't know i'm not a doctor um maybe you've got i don't know smelly face itis if you were friends with one of the characters from one of our choices we'd recommend we cut your legs off because that apparently is a cure <laughs> Or, sh or shove you in a shed. I'm surprised they haven't been shoved in a shed or something yet. There's still time, don't worry. Christopher, what have you been up to? Oh, also, like I said, also, like Mercer, been ill. No, I have, I've not been ill. I had my second COVID jab, so 
I am now fully dosed up with Pfizer, pfizer goodness. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any side effects apart from a slight headache. That's not for lack of wanting them, though. I was, yeah, I was, I was, there's not many people who are desperate to be seriously ill from a vaccine so they could have a day off work. But no, I, I took, had my vaccine and then I went to work like a good member of the soul crushing totalitarian capitalist regime. I myself have also been up to nothing. It's been a pretty blur week, to be honest. What more can I say? Well, I'm sure everyone's hyped and ready to go for the episode. <laughs> it's like, if you enjoyed that, strap yourself in. Oh! <laughs> we, did, we did, of course, have Fright Fest lineup drop this week. Oh, yeah. Looks boss, to be honest. Looks some right good films in there. Super excited that King Knight's on, considering they've never played a Richard Bates Jr. film before. So. I know, I know. Exciting stuff. Um, I'll give you my five hot takes if you want. Not hot takes. That sounds like a dumbass thing to say. I hate that term, hot takes. Shut your fucking mouth. No, I'll give you my top five most anticipated for Fright Fest 2021. Demonic, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, which looks awesome. Prisoners of the Ghostland, because why wouldn't you want to see Nick Cage in anything? Uh, King Knight, for reasons we've just said. And Evie, because, you know, yay Dominic Grump. I've not fully looked into them all yet, but I think um, I've looked at a few. And I'm demonic, I'm interested in. Um, but I'm also kind of keen to see the show. That looks like it might be a bit bizarre. Which one's the show? A guy who around a haunt, a guy who goes to a haunted town to locate an artifact. <laughs> I've seen it. The haunted town is Northampton, which is listed a town as dangerous as he is. So not very dangerous unless you kind of any kind of minority, I guess, or any kind of alternative lifestyle, because that is what Northampton is very much oh. kind of against. Okay. So Northampton is a town again where the like. County Council has also nearly got, I think, if they haven't filed for bankruptcy because they went bust, they were, they were teetering on the edge of actually going bankrupt. Do you like work for a council? Happiness. Is this something you're doing your spare time? I'm just, I just know Northampton. I just know how shit a town it is. Sorry. And when it says, as dangerous a town as Northampton, as if it's some fucking darkly brooding coffee place. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a shit hole. So they're actually talking about Northampton in the UK. It's not like an American thing. Uh, I believe it's the UK. Northampton. I don't know if there's an American Northampton. It's a it's a UK made film, so I'm assuming it's Northampton UK. As if they're going after Northampton though. I've been there. I've never seen Voodoo Gangsters, Noir Private Eyes, or Master Avengers when I've been wandering around Northampton Town Centre. I've seen the Greggs and I've seen a man vomit on a bird. <laughs> Just in reference to your earlier comment about them going after Northampton, it doesn't appear they're going after Northampton. It appears Chris is going after Northampton in a very, very strong way. Also, Chris, I've been in the sea and never been at by a shark. Mind you, other people have, so. Are you claiming sharks might not exist? Sharks do not exist. <laughs> not genetically modified ones. That took a, that took a turn. <laughs> I also haven't had a great look at the list of films, but Demonic, obviously Neil Blomkamp's mm. horror piece I'm very much looking forward to and King Knights because 
King Knight, <laughs> King Knight, oh, give it the correct name, because obviously we're all huge Richard Bates Jr. Yes. fans and can't wait to see that because Matthew Gray Google is in it. I, I did think Cell were going to get that. I think I thought, but I guess it's release times as well, isn't it? It's it can't be helped. No, that's it. As you say, there's a lot of things going into when these films actually play. But Cell normally play Richard Bates and Fright Fest normally don't ever pick him up. So that either means there's been a lack of movies that are any good for the festivals or Fright Fest have just finally twigged that people love Richard Bates Jr. It could, it could be he's already got a release date lined up. He's got a deal for it. It may be the case that they play in August, it comes out in September, at which point it's no good for sale. Mm. Let's face it, we're on demand now. Films don't take the sheer volume of time to actually play and then get released. So if you've got a director with a track record like him, it might well be picked up for streaming services as soon as it's made and released. Yeah. Anyway, it's a good lineup. It's a really good lineup. Solid effort. Um, hopefully we'll get a ticket whenever they go on sale. Should we um maybe move on to our choices for this week? Can do. We do have some feedback from the listeners, though. I was jumping in too quick. I apologise. I was too eager to get my pick out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> As I've said it before, I say again, the listeners are a lucky, lucky bunch of people. <laughs> right. So we've had, we've had, we've had, we've had some, some feedback from listeners. So thank you very much for everyone who's weighed in. The whole two people. No, we've had a couple more than that. You remember. You remember we need to talk about Kevin, the film, right? Yes. We need to talk about Dan. Dan, Dan Popomatic. I'm, I'm not sure if he's sarcasm or satirising. He's coming with the happening of... I don't care whether he's being sarcastic or not. I am going to, right here, right now, stand up and say, I pretty much enjoy the happening I actually think it's quite a fun film and I hate the I don't hate people who say it's terrible but I just think the hate that it gets is more because people are just like don't like Mark Wahlberg anymore because he's a bit sappy in it but I fucking in fact I'm gonna say it I love the happening take that people I don't have anything against Mark Wahlberg um Mark Warburg is a funny guy and I don't even care if he's being sappy and happening. It's not the worst film I've ever seen, but you have to admit the premise of it is dog bob. Isn't it like just a similar premise to things like In the Earth or whatever it's called, where the trees no. are and punishing people? Yes, it is. No, it's, it's not. nature coming alive. It's pretty much the same premise as my film that we picked. Why didn't I pick In the Earth? Because we'd have had to pay to go and watch it again. And nobody wants to watch that again. That's not true. I'll be watching it again. I didn't realise we'd have so much love for the happening because I find it dull and really... I don't hate... It's, that's the thing with this. It's not a bad... It's not, the happening is not a badly made film. It's not anything that you, you should be railing hateful against. It's just so, so mind-crushingly dull. I think because Mercer has shown an interest in it and I've said it's not that bad, you might need to apologise to Dan. No, I'm happy to stand my ground. I've voiced my opinion and to go, 
Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Dan, that you like the hat, then. I heard a sorry, Dan, so I heard <laughs> it. I'm sorry you were offended, Dan. No, Dan, fair enough. I'm clearly, I might be in the minority who didn't like the happening, judging from this conversation, then. Maybe we'll have to go and revisit it. It's worth revisiting something sometimes, because I revisited The Village recently, and I remember The Village being Utter Tribe, and I rewatched it. I'm like, I actually quite like this film. It's got a lot of comedy in it that totally flew over me the first time. It is sometimes worth revisiting, but then on the flip, I think as we'll find out later on, sometimes revisiting a film isn't as um, as good as it should be. Yeah, I think we will find that out pretty soon. You can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move on to one of these other feedback, though, from people, because they took the time to message us, so we should take the time to read them. Well, you're just going to read them and come on here and tell them they're wrong. Yeah. That's fine. That's what they. That's what they're here for. Maybe there's some kind of they've got some sadistic tendency where they want to go and slag like off their film choices. But anyway, the podcast that wouldn't die got in touch and said prophecy is one of the best. Stop polluting the environment, or a giant mutant bear will come and kill you. Hilarious. Oh, never seen. I haven't seen prophecy either. Lauren, Doctor Lauren, and on and go. Comes with just an OMG. The ruins. Hmm. I do sometimes worry about Lauren's taste. Guffaw, guffaw. <laughs> and Gorehound asks, does 1981's Day of the Triffids count? The TV series speak me back then and still does now. Seemed all very, this could actually happen to the childhood me and still owes me some clean wife rinse. <laughs> I didn't realise, was there a TV show and the film for Day of the Triffids? I yeah. I just remember, I remember the film where they drive around in the ice cream van. At the end. Is that not War of the Worlds? No, that's Day of the Triff. I'm certain it's Day of the Triffids. I'm, get, I'm getting my killer environment mixed up. Okay, should we get into it now then? Is now a safe time? <laughs> now is a safe space. Is there anything else that I've totally bypassed, like I seem to do every single time I host? We good? Right, let's crack on. So my choice for nature horror is naturally a virus film. <laughs> see when you say it like that it does sound wrong but how are viruses created well i was going more on the fact of how they picked up this virus that was my logic and i don't know what the fuck kind of logic that was anyway i've gone for 2002's cabin fever by eli roth should have known should have known. Um, basic premise of the film is that five college friends go to a cabin in the woods that they've rented and they pick up a virus and start deteriorating and going mental and it's a fight for survival. That is the basic premise of it with, you know, shit gags and stoner gags and party gags thrown in there. I, this rarely happens with me. Um, if I pick something, I pick it with conviction because I know I love it. I didn't love this rewatch. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I enjoyed it because I absolutely didn't. It was the worst example of like lazy party boy frat horror. And oh, yeah. I mean, I'm going to say it all right. You can't be dropping N word in a film, no matter whether it's 2002 or whatever. It's not, it's not right. And it's 
It, you can't say it. And yet he says it twice and thinks it's okay and thinks it's a joke. And the minute everybody, anybody does something slightly against what other person believes, the gay, like, mm, no, Eli, no, it's, it's poor form. So the, the old man in the shop and, and the dropping of the N-word, I honestly think that was literally just put in for shock factor um, and no other reason. Because uh, there is no reason for that scene or the end scene, which is supposed to make it a joke. There's literally no reason for that to be in the movie whatsoever. It is just um, a terrible attempt at um, trying to shock an audience. I think. I I think if he doesn't use if he doesn't use the N word, and he has and he has another way of exp- of explaining or voicing that group that particular ethnic group, I think the gag actually works. I think, I have no, I have no issue with the gag. I think the fact that he's there as, portrayed as this redneck and you go, okay, and then he turns up and he's good mates with everyone. I think that gag works perfectly fine. But he didn't, he, he chose to use that word. Yeah, so. I know what I'm saying. I know, but, but then again, that's we're saying, as we did before, if you're rewriting something, that would be okay. If something had ended in this way, would it be okay? You've got to you've got to look at it objectively and go, well, he didn't. Well, yeah, I'm breaking it apart though. I'm breaking apart the proponent. The gag works. The way he said the way he set it up doesn't work. I just don't think it's a I don't think it's a joke. And I think using it for humor is 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 an insult in itself. And I think the appropriation at the end where the old man then starts like, you know, using like slang, which he's not used throughout the film. Is just wrong. But aside from that, jumping right back to the beginning, I think the very start of the film is really promising. Do you know the score? <laughs> over the very over the very start of the film, you've got that music with all the memorable flies on. And I think it sets up a film that we don't actually get to see, which is a really dirty, gritty kind of film. That that's Eli Roth to a T though, isn't it? You you, you think something's gonna happen. I mean, oh my god, the thing is right. There's some stuff he does which I really like. Like, bizarrely enough, Aftershock. I really enjoy Aftershock and it's, like, barely heard of. But with, like, this and with Green Inferno and Last Exorcism and whatnot, he makes out like it's going to be this decent thing to watch and then just totally ruins it with stoner jokes and party gags. And I fucking hate that shit. We get you're a party boy, man. Just leave it for a minute. I I actually forgot how much um, it veered away from straight horror um, when I rewatched it. Now, Eli Roth himself does say that it is a comedy horror. You have to be funny uh, to be a comedy horror. I think he was going for funny. I just think the balance is very off between the comedy and the horror. Like you said, the comedy aspect of it feels like, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but it feels like a, an American Pie kind of comedy. Mm. Whereas the horror, when we does do the horror aspects of it, that is quite intense, some of it. So that balance between the two, is a, it's, it's just a massive hit and miss for me. I think it's just the fact that 
it's always been in because I, I used to watch it loads like I honestly countless times and in my head the way I remember it was a good film and I think to go back to it and just not see any sort of redeeming quality from it was a bit disappointing more than disappointing I mean I think to say there's no redeeming quality is a bit harsh well yeah I mean I, <laughs> no not really I mean the leg bit <laughs> the leg bit I really enjoy um the fact they throw her in a shed I'm like what I don't know I hate that guy with the backwards cap now he's an asshole. the I, I don't know I don't know should we just move on to the next film No, we're carrying on with it. Okay. Give it a fair shot. So, I do think it's one of the films where we've got a a set of characters that I don't believe would be friends. I don't believe these people hang around with each other in the real world. They just don't feel like friends. But I do kind of like the setup of the. I do like the setup of the the being stranded in like a of a hick town with a virus and the people within the town automatically passing the blame onto you as an outsider well the thing is do they do they actually know about this virus because isn't it relatively new from them arriving because it's come from the dog into the water so i, I it's not something that the town are aware of i don't think no but the town when when bert finally goes to get help is 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 he tells the guy in the shopkeeper my friends were real and then he's evidently quite ill. So I think they go, you brought this disease with you because it wasn't here before. I take it back. There is a there is a good bit in the film. Pancakes. The most random bit of cinema ever. Like I don't know where it's come from. I don't know why the kid likes pancakes. I don't know how he knows instantly that the guy's infected just from biting him. It's like, goes, oh, and he's like, how do you know? That, that is the best bit of acting in the film as well. The kid actually, the kid, the kid biting him and the actual reaction shot on his face as he realises something's not right and goes from enjoying biting him to actually shocked is the best, the best pure acting moment in the actual film, which says, unfortunately, a lot about the quality of the acting across the year. It also begs the question, how many people does Dennis buy to have a good taste on what's good blood, good, good blood, good, good, good blood, 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 blood. Um, good he, bites, blood. he bites enough people to warrant a sign next to him as he sits outside. But he only gets the sign because that lawyer ban, or oh, I hate immediately, Jeff, says. Um, Just while we're on the subject, you said about no redeeming features. That that little bit there, where they go to begin with and they meet him first, he goes, oh, you need sign or something. And they go back later and there is just signs everywhere. That is a, that works. That works. And that's what I will go into. That part, I think, is good. What got me mad was that Jeff, um, air quotes, lawsuit. And I, I've never been as bad in all my life. And turns around to him and goes, you need to put signs up. Because what if, let's say, there was a air quotes, lawsuit, but he obviously does air quotes, and then says lawsuit. I'm like, why would you air quote a lawsuit? A lawsuit's just a lawsuit. They're all unlikable as fuck. Not one of them five that you go, oh, I really hope they survive this. They turn up, and within 30 seconds ago, you go, oh, okay, you're right. These are all instantly unlikable people. I hope they all die. 
I think Karen's probably the most likable, even though she clearly does abuse the fact that she knows that um, Pete, I forgot his name already. Sorry. Sean Ryder. Is this not Sean Ryder? <laughs> <laughs> this would be a far more interesting film if they'd have Sean Ryder into it. Ryder Strong. <laughs> yeah, I think she's most, um, yeah, do you think she's most likable? But she does take advantage of the fact that Paul Ryder, no, no Paul Ryder Strong. Ryder, Ryder Strong. Ryder Strong. Paul, the character Paul is obviously in love with her. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I did notice is apparently she's a photographer. I have never seen a photographer walk around and just point a camera and take a picture without messing with aperture or looking at light or lining it up. She literally just goes, point, point. Have, have you point. never heard of a little photographer called Austin Powers? <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Anyway, anyway, I do think she is the most <clears throat> likable character, um, and the fact that you know the way they treat her, like you say, is a bit harsh. But then, I think that's probably maybe the most believable aspect of their behaviour. The fact that they're so worried about themselves because they are self-centered characters that rather than trying to tend for her, they chuck her in a cabin. But then later on, they do, Ryder and Marcy do touch her and help her. So it almost defeats what they're doing. I think that part, re- I think that part really rings true, though. I'm not sure if you had someone with that level of infection, whether you would go, oh, no, let's help Ryan go, no, fuck it out. We've got to completely separate them from the rest of us. That part for me goes, yeah, I can completely buy into what they've done there rather than going, oh, we'll just help you. No, fuck it. If anyone, you, you two have become infected like that, get the fuck out of it. That's it. Uh, Chris did say as well, like, watching Cabin Fever is like, oh, it's like pandemic because, you know, it is. It's like ideal coronavirus in your pick as well. Um, well, sorry, Chris's pick. I had a look online and it was comparing watching that film in the pandemic and how you feel about it so everything they're doing there is pretty much what we're doing now we're trying to keep away from people and you know what you call him posh haired blonde guys walking around with his mouth covered because he don't want to mm. get anything it's only what we're doing so yeah i agree with chris that is quite believable yeah. I agree. That action's believable. And it does explain a previous action where that guy tries to ask for help and they just attack him for no reason. <laughs> but, I mean, that part's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm but like, he weren't backing up. They asked him to back up and he didn't back up. So that's on him, that. No, it's not on him. He's ill and he's desperate for help. And I'm... he's, like, feeling. No, I'm sorry, I'm going to fail on this. If you, come, if you knock on someone's door and they're like, yeah, I want to help you, but... You need to keep your dish, you need to back up, you keep going at them. He said he's going to help him. Them, then I completely understand why. Setting him on fire was maybe not the not the correct reaction, but I'm not no, sure that's in St. John's ambulance. That's what you have to do, you so, have to set someone on fire. Yeah, when I did my first aid course, it's like look around for obstructions, set them, pick them on fire. <laughs> Also, Karen, after they set him on fire, starts crying, going, it was just asking for help. And I'm like, yes, and you literally said to him about five seconds before he got set on fire, I'm going to stab you. So, right, I'm going to do a bit of backtracking here because it's not as bad as I was making out at the beginning. I think it's just because it annoyed me so much with the whole racism and homophobia and shit like that. It had some issues, it had some things which just weren't, 
appropriate then and aren't appropriate now. But some of the things that come out within the film are actually really funny. Like, I mean, we, we all know security policeman man. Oh, you guys like to party? I like to party. Man. It's like, well, you're fucking ridiculous. But as you just mentioned, Mercer, I literally wrote down. It, yeah, I literally quoted it. But that guy asked for our help and we lit him on fire. He's like, who says that? And, and um, yeah, when the, the, they're talking about something previously and he says, yes, it is, you fucking slut. Appropriate reaction. <laughs> So, the, the, yeah, the dialogue is quite quite funny. can be quite funny. The dialogue is terrible. And obviously, there's the awesome, awesome, not awesome, the awful, awful Eli, Eli Roth jizzing all over himself moment where he cast himself as the high court who comes to the camp. And it's the most ridiculous scene I've seen. It, it's absolutely pointless. Again, and you're just like, why? It sounds like why? a surfer. Like, yeah, bro. Hi, Dan Brownies, Brownie. I'm like, ugh. One good interesting fact, because obviously um, Eli Ross from Boston, if we didn't know that, and the story that um, about the bowling alley murders is based on a true murder that happened in a bowling alley in Boston. And I think that's, um, it's a bit exploitative, also, like, interesting to learn a bit more about that. I don't think I, I won't really go as far as to say exploitative because you have like whole last films that are made on that are based on murderers, like you know, Amityville Horror, for example. That's fucking dining out on that forever. Um, the guy who played the bowling alley dude, I think he's his brother, he's definitely a relation because it looks he's, he's listed as a Roth on IMDb, and you could be forgiven for thinking it were him. Well, I think that about wraps it up. <laughs> You're just desperate to get away from this film, aren't you? It's, just, it's, it's not. It's not been my favorite week. I'm sorry. He really hasn't. Just is what it is, isn't it? There's not a lot to say about Cabin Fever. It's, it's just. It's just supposed to be gory fun. It wasn't fun for me this time, but that's what it's aiming for. Just a bit of you know, turn your brain off and watch some blood and guts and whatnot. The leg scene. It's my favourite thing about the whole thing. I think that's a really good effect. When she's shaving the legs and the skin starts coming off, I think that's a really good scene. But I don't really care for any of them. I don't really care that they all died. I think Cabin Fever 2 is the better film, for real. I love that cartoon intro. I think it's brilliant. Like, sure, wrap up there. Is that, is that how you've wrapped it up? <laughs> Cabin Fever 2 is better than this film. Please vote for me. Yeah. Cabin <laughs> Fever 2 is better. I'm out. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to okay. the next. Let's move on to a film I picked. A film that I picked from the very, very start when we started deciding on different, like all the different subgenres that were available to do. And we said, what about nature? I picked this film immediately. I stand by my film fair. I love my film. It is 2008's The Ruins. There you go. So it's a film I stand by, 2008 The Ruins. Comes from Carter Smith, who anyone who attended the So Home Pride edition and watched Midnight Kiss will have seen his work there as well. That's another film that he did. 
Um, it's a simple tale. Uh, it's four friends. They're on vacation in Mexico. Um, it's coming towards the end of their vacation time. They've not really done anything except party and hang about the pool because they're all, you know, that's the kind of people they are. Uh, and they meet Mateus, who who lets them know that there's these ruins that are uncharted and it's like VIP private invite only because his brother's there on a dig and do they want to come and they agree to go. Um, so then Mateus and one Greek person from a Greek party these ruins and um, when they get there the kind of indigenous folk or the locals um, surround them, chase them up this mountain, up these ruins like this Mayan temple and make them stay. What we then learn is the ruins are alive. Are they alive with the sound of music? The hill. Oh my God, Jeff, just got it. <laughs> They're alive with the sound of telephone ringing. Mimicking. Mimicking. Yeah, basically, we then just watch um, these people kind of fight for survival in a, in a way that's, I think, a little bit more, I'm going to say intelligent, but as in, as in, it's not like slasher flick horror where it's like, oh God, no, quick run upstairs or stuff it's like they have to actually think and work think some things out to to work out how to defeat the situation that they're in i, I guess they have to because they don't have anywhere they can go you're literally yeah. there it's like an escape room essentially yeah um i think for me the reason why i picked this film is a i think the performances are really good I think everybody gives a really strong performance and we get to, it's one of them things that I love to see. I say it all the time. I love to see like the way as humans, we break down um, and how our interactions with each other will change depending on what scenarios we're in. And it doesn't matter who you with or how much you love somebody, like you, your behavior will change. Um, and, and I love things like that. And I love the fact that it doesn't try and kind of hide the fact that it's the, like these vines that are killing you. It's just like, yeah, it's some vines. We don't know why they're killing you, but they're killing you. And I like that idea as well. Um, I just think the story is fun. And I think the effects are really quite good. I think you've picked it because there's only this film and The Happening that could actually be considered nature horror of any horror ever made. It's just these two. That's all it is. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I love The Ruins. I think it's great. We had it picked a couple of months ago for Bad Film Club because Lauren, nodding off, said, oh, this will be really... I remember this being really stupid and we were all so into it. I'm like, this is this is not a bad film at all. This is an amazing film. Exactly. We, we had to rent this again on Prime to watch this and I genuinely am not annoyed that I had to spend £3.50 to watch this again because I think Ruins is great. I wish you'd have told me I've got two copies because I love it that much. Well, I've got two copies because my mum bought me a copy. She didn't know I had it. Um, but yeah, I, I I have so much fun with it. I love, um, I love the opening. So that woman just trapped with that phone, just screaming and then getting dragged off because we're not really sure what's going off at this point. Um, so unless you've seen the film, you don't know. You don't know whether she'd been kidnapped. And then the fact that she just don't come up again until we find her body. 
I quite like that as well. Mm. Um, I love, there's a part in the film, uh, this is how shit I am, um, but it's like one of my favourite parts in the film. <laughs> it's when, when Mateus comes over uh, and he obviously wants to flirt with these girls. And he's like, how do you know each other? And Sean Ashmore's character's like, oh, these two are best friends and we're their boyfriends. And it sets up this kind of relationship of we're only really together as a foursome because of these two. So we're not real friends with each other. And I think that's a really smart thing to do because it it lets us know immediately that, in my opinion, that when it comes to the survival aspect of the film, there's going to be a potential power struggle between the males for who's the alpha because they're not best friends. Mm. So why would like why would they trust each other enough to take the lead? Um, and you do not 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 overtly, but you do see that kind of struggle. Like as soon as like um, Jeff's like let's ration the water. And he's like, why? Who gives you the permission to do this? Jeff's too good at dishing out instructions and not actually doing fuck all himself, apart from the main thing he does later on. The one thing I picked up, Jeff, for me personally, is this, it almost felt like a power trip for him. It's like he's suddenly in a position where he is in control and what he is saying makes sense because he's got more medical knowledge of how their bodies are going to react in the situation they're in. So it's harder for them to argue and debate with him. And everything he does, it, it almost seems slightly sociopathic. They all have this really weird, calm nature for the whole film, though, considering what's going on. And I'm fine with that because it's played, the film's played completely straight while the absolute insanity of what goes on around them ratchets up to 11. So they stay completely calm when they go, oh, there's these killer vines running around. We need to go down and get the mobile phone. I would go, oh my fucking God, killer vines. I think as well with Jeff, the whole power struggle that you're talking about, I think that's more directed at Amy than anybody else. Because when they're at the resort, he has no control over her whatsoever. She's drunk. She's out of it. She wants to party. He doesn't want to. So he kind of sulks off, not getting his own way. This is this is a way for him to control Amy. And I think that's where, that's where it's directed, from what I saw anyway. I don't think he's that bad with her in the on the beach scene. But you, can, you can see that he's a bit, a bit pissed off yeah, that she's not going, doing what he wants to do. He's a bit annoyed that she's pissed, but he doesn't just strop. I was like, right, okay, no I worries, I'm off the bed. Full on strop. No, I just mean like. I'm just saying I don't, I don't uh, see that control. I don't see that control of her as as much during that opening scene. I don't really see that either. I get what you're saying um, in regards to you know she doesn't really listen to him and this is it this is really a time when she's got to listen to him um but i think i don't think that's a, a an ongoing behavior with her i think that it's highlighted that she's playing up because he's about to go off to una and it's three thousand miles away so she's kind of playing up because she don't want that to happen you're saying about your favorite bits in the film i'll tell you my my favorite bit because it's a it's the bit that we realise it's actually the film's a lot smarter than it lets on. It's when they first get to the temple and they're taking the photos of the Mayan villagers, and 
they obviously she's taken the phone and they start pointing the weapons there. And the assumption is that it's because they're these backward Mayan villagers who don't like technology and quite oh spirit trapped in a camera kind of scenario. And it's not, it's because as she's stepping back to take the photo, she's put a foot on the temp, she's put a foot on the temple and therefore infected. Mm. So that thing where you go, it's only when they then get up there and you go, oh, that little that little set they had there where it made it look like that. That is genuinely really clever. They've actually subverted that. An extension of that scene or of what you're saying is that seems also really good because the Mayan, the people who come to the temple just start shouting at them in a language they don't understand. What I love is they don't subtitle it. So we're literally in the same boat as the people there going, I don't understand what's going on. Why are they mad at them? And it's only on like a rewatch for me that I noticed that when Dimitri goes to get the camera, he obviously steps into the vines as well. And then he walks at them, which is why they shoot him, because they think he's going to touch them and pass it on because there's that lack of understanding or ability to communicate between both sides. And it is very clever because it's very subtle in the way that it does it. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Oh, look at us. We're finally agreeing again. Oh, the ruins is great. I, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant film. There's some, there's some stuff there where, like when Dimitri, not Dimitri, sorry, the uh, German, Mateus, when he falls down the shaft and there's just, there's some unbelievable, like the fact they could both lift him onto the stretcher. Uh, oh no, 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 he's a big guy. And it's, it's an effort to have to carry dead weight around and to go, yeah, no, that's fine. They can lift him onto a stretcher is pushing it a bit. Killer vines, no problem. Lifting the guy onto a stretcher. They, they did obviously do some damage putting him on the stretcher because they didn't do it properly. So, you know, we'll give them that. But uh, <laughs> the fact is, what we were saying that when Mateus falls and he's obviously broken his back and he's all beaten up and whatnot, and she falls down and goes, Oh, I've cut my knee. <laughs> <laughs> it, remind, it reminds me of Finger Hot Shots part there, where, she get, where they've got her, she keeps stripping off, ripping off parts of her clothes to cover up these wounds people have got. It's like, Oh, cut my finger. It's a real gusher. <laughs> See, I like that because I think um, it highlights, again, that almost sense of, um, what's it called? Self-arrogance, ignorance. You know what I mean? Where it's self-centeredness, where she's cut her knee and that's the most important thing. And she wants to get out of that tunnel, at that, that shaft, which is why she says, just pick him up. Let's just do it. Um, but what I do like is that she has that guilt factor later on where these people are, re- the, the painted as real characters, like what they do, they actually go, fuck, like, is this my fault now? Mm. To be fair to her with her knee, I will say she has understated the cut. She has got like an eight inch piece of glass or whatever it is embedded in her. Yeah, That is, that is not a cut. She's been stabbed is what she should have said. Maybe you can answer this, Mercer, but I was confused along the way about the um, growth time or moving time of the vines because when they're at the top and we pull back the cover and it's all over Mateus's legs and such, it seems to have been a slow process that's been happening overnight, but yet when they're actually in the temple and they're searching for the phone, they're coming at them pretty quick. 
So I'm like, what's what's the difference there? Why does some move faster than the others? Age. I'm going to attribute it to age, maybe. Okay. Uh, but actually, oops, if, if you think about uh, the... But that's a lie. I can't give you an answer because the timings and the way they move is inconsistent because, yes, it's a slow... It does appear to be like a slow wraparound, both Matthias and uh, Stacey during the night. But when um, we have the amputation scene they very quickly come and take Matthias's legs and they very quickly come and take um, the bodies when they die. Mm. So I think it's just, it must just be dependent on, maybe it's like because they're alive they're, and they're up and exposed, they're being more cautious. Yeah. And down below, obviously that's their territory. Yeah. And there's only one down there. I love... Um, what I love is like when we very first see um, Stacy going down, you see the vines very sort of like kind of like reacting. Yeah. So there's no focus on them. It's just as her torch swings round, her light, they'll slightly react to what's going on. Um, and I think that's quite cool. And then I love when they actually discover what the ringing phone and it's the flowers actually just imitating the phone. It's quite funny. It's very Alice in Wonderland in my mind. Like I just think of Alice in Wonderland. I don't even know if that happens in Alice in Wonderland, but in my mind there's a there's imitating flowers. Um and I love that, but I love the way like the vines then kind of like are all like swirly and kataki and and kind of cool. I like how they start mimicking Stacey. I think that's really funny. Just start driving her insane by just repeating her own her own whinge back to her. Especially since we see earlier how annoyed she gets with her bloke mimicking her when they're wandering through. It's just like, are you mimicking me? No, I'm just I'm just agreeing with you. She got really annoyed. So yeah, she is probably the it's signposted early that if she one of them is gonna crack gonna for be being her. wound up by being that, it's gonna yeah. be her. There's so many little clever nods when you actually look back and go through the film and you go, yeah, it's really, really well executed the way they put these bits and pieces in place to come up, come along later on. I'll tell you what's quite shocking as well um, is the the child scene. Like, you don't often see that in a film horror or otherwise. It's normally just, like, shied away from. But the it's quite... You, you're quite worried for the kid when he throws the divine at him and it touches him and you're like fuck what's going to happen now and just shoots him dead a child and you're like well if he can do that to like his own kid you'll happily do that to a stranger won't he mm. yeah I, I think that's quite intense I think in general I think the film sets up a lot of tension and it doesn't really give you much time to relent on it so once like you know we we have once the vines wrap around themselves around Matthias's legs and, and he's like, the only way we can deal with this is to amputate. Like that, it just from that point, it just feels really kind of like, oh God, I need a like a little bit of leeway sometimes. Like, mm. you know, cause we do that. And then we have Stacey completely losing the plot, um, which can I add? First of all, the amputation scene is awesome. It is when he breaks his bones, you don't expect it to show you the bone that the hit because it feels like a holiday, like it's a DreamWorks film. 
in it spotlight or whatever but you you kind of expect it because it feels polished as a film for it to be a cutaway and not to give you the kind of gruesome stuff um but i was like well impressed it's at this point as well that i question jeff's abilities as a future doctor because he says that he can't feel no pain beneath his waist fucking can clearly feel pain Matthias is crying out with pain, so we can feel it. So, you know, you need to maybe study up a bit, Jeff. I actually think Jeff is right. If Matthias is paralysed, Dan, and he does earlier say he can't feel his legs, it's the it's the seeing it and not the feeling it that causes the pain. So I don't think he's actually feeling the pain. I think he's seeing what's happening to him. No, I think, I think you're wrong. I think he's screaming in pain. No. And this could also, you know, hark back to what you were saying about Jeff being a sociopath. You did say we're a sociopath, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't go to them ruins, if actually Jeff killed these people anyway. So, you know, I get that feeling from him. Like, I feel like we were going to lose this shit at some point. Um, yeah, does, he redeem, does... does redeem himself in the end, though. Got to be said, give him his dues. Yeah. And my name is Jeff. <laughs> I think as well, one of my favorite parts is Stacey's breakdown. Um, it's watching watching her like telling them there's something inside her and that initial not believing it, and then it becomes a reality that it is. Um, and then there's that scene, that awesome scene where they're all sat around and, and they give her that bourbon and she takes a sip and you just see the vine run through her head and everyone just kind of stops and looks and she's like, I felt it, it's there, it? I felt it. And they're all just like, I can't, we can't really talk about this. This is too much for us to now take. We know it's got her. Um, but then when she starts hacking her leg open... Like she's just stood and she's got a big flap of skin and she's going, I'm all right, I'll get it out. And you're just like, oh my God, she's completely lost it. And it's horrible. I don't know. Again, it, it's just a succession of like, bam, bam, bam. And you're just like, fuck, 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 fuck. What is going on? This is gone. This is intense. I love it. It is great. And the ending's great too. Although we watched a different ending to the one we watched last time because there are two endings. Yes, which ending did you watch? This uh, time we watched the one with no end scene, but previously we watched the unrate we watched the unrated cut where she where you see her in the jeep later on, and she's got the bloodshot eyes where she's infected. infected. The blood starts rising in her eyes. Yeah, that's when I'm a Seth. So I love the ending. I do think it's a bit um, the way that he managed to detect every single person from uh, her dead body. Which well, is dead. They're not concentrating yeah. on her though, are they? That's the thing. Yeah. But like, all, it just seems like no one's paying attention. Like, where have all the ladies gone and stuff that were washing clothes and stuff? Yeah. She get, she gets pretty far without anyone firing a shot off at her. To be honest, I mean that's the issue. She does. Um, I'll say this: I love the fact that she doesn't stop. So, do you know, similar to like the descent, where you love the fact. That Make sure she's away from the situation before she breaks down, even though that's not what really happened. I love the fact that she falls, she hears the gunshot, and instead of going, oh, shit, Jeff, I've got to go back, she just goes, fuck, and gets up and carries on and gets herself out of the situation. But I wish they'd have stuck with the unrated 
ending, the alternate ending, where we see the the vines in her mm. was infected because I just feel like it's less cutty cutty cookie cutter happy ending and more like oh fuck and I like an oh fuck ending I wanted her to get away in fact actually let me be honest with you she's a character I least wanted to get away because I thought she was the worst of the bunch yeah she was she's the worst of the bunch and I think something that I've learned recently is being a bad person sometimes means that you get the best outcomes so let's all be fucking bastards. No, let's not. But let's. um right, I'm gonna wrap it up now. Before you do, can I just say this could have all been avoided if the Mayans had just put a fence around the temple. <laughs> or bought some weed killer. No, I'm saying small small warning sign. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fucking touch this thing. They've there got they could save themselves a job. They would literally not have to have as many guards on. Electric fence around it. There you go. Remember what you just said previously, though, Faye, about cabin fever. Yeah, if we rewrote it, it could be a different film. To wrap it up, I'm going to say, I think The Ruins is, it's it's got a ridiculous concept that's carried out in an intelligent way. It's got four, well, it's got a set of leads that give, full-on believable performance and they live in the moment it doesn't go to ridiculous comedy aspects to try and lighten the mood it just says this is what this is you're going to deal with it mm-hmm. and and let's see if you can get through it and it looks fantastic and it's definitely better than cabin fever definitely is so on to my choice then i guess I stand by my choice as well. We're gonna have to do these like thinking of like election messages. It's like, hi, I'm Chris, and I fully endorse this film. I won't be making this mistake again. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll be picking better next time. Just before you start, Chris, do you know what would be hysterical if Cabin Fever actually would? <laughs> Eli Roth's still making films. There must be an audience for his work. Anyway, so. My pick. I've gone. I'll, I'll start by saying why. Why this is nature. What could be more natural than a whole planet? Nothing. Nothing is more natural than an actual planet. And what could be more terrifying than a planet smashing you in the face? Not like on a night out where it's had too many drinks and going to fight in the car park with it, but a new planet identified. And that is why. My pick is 2011's Melancholia from Lars from Trier. So good. That's not my closing statement. That's not why. <laughs> that's not why I feel will justify this film. If anyone hasn't seen this, then please do because I'm sure we're all going to agree it's absolutely brilliant. But what I would say is, much like when we had these final hours for our best Australian horror, this may not technically fall under a horror category or horror film per se, but I think we can all agree the end of the world is pretty terrifying. Mm -hmm. And in this as well, just like in these final hours, there's no escape. There is going to be no happy ending. We start as we mean to go on with the end of the world. As I say, just a quick one. So the bulk of this film focuses 
around Kirsten Dunst and her wedding day and with her and her family, so with Charlotte Gainsbourg, Keith Sutherland, and how the discovery of this new planet, Melancholia, and the realisation that it is going to hit the Earth mimics also her relationships and her family falling apart and also coming to an end. A film that is so many layers, deep and rich and gorgeous, with a 15-minute orchestral score opening that just sets the tone for this slow, agonising, dread-filled build. And you know that this is going to be an intense and quite emotional, wrenching watch for it. But as I say, that that being said, level. So not only that with the fear of the end, End of the world, as I'm sure you can get on board with that uh-huh. when you went and watched it. But also just that whole level of depression that Kirsten Dunst is dealing with. This is a film about depression and anxiety and just general misery that only Lars von Trier can possibly serve up in his custom way. Yeah. Would you like to weigh in at this point, either one of you? I will start because this was a first watch for me. Oh. Um, yes. So, you know, I've heard quite a lot about Melancholia and weren't sure how I was going to get on board with it. Um, but I will say that I literally, for the first, for the opening sequence, I was just sat mouth agape. I was completely mesmerised. I don't know what about it it was. I, I was almost crying at it. And this was just the, the very opening sequences. So I was like literally almost in tears. I was absolutely, it was so hypnotic. It's so beautiful. Um, It felt like I'd watched, like by the time that we're done, I felt like I'd been through a full film. But also it was like flipping through an editorial in like a fashion magazine. Like every shot was just beautiful. And then by the end of the film, Obviously, you go, oh my god, that it's very, it's very um midsummer, as in, but before midsummer, as in this is is highlighted the different stages of the film in the opening. And I was like, that is incredible. It does, and it's done apparently from Kirsten Dunster's perspective and how she feels about the gravity of the situation. So when you've got a walking through in the wedding dress and you've got the roots attached to her legs. It's how she's feeling. She feels pulled down by it, like she can't escape it. There are literal things in there, obviously, with her sister, like with the tent and, you know, the the little nephew um, who's making the materials for it. But it is essentially how she sees the end of the world. And apparently, and I I didn't know till this watch, I've watched Melancholia a few times. I adore this film. Um, But I didn't know she was supposed to be clairvoyant in it. That was like a first time thing for me. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> I thought, um, I think what this film did really well is setting up a realistic relationship between everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 it, it's so funny because that scene at the beginning where they're in the limousine and they're trying to get up and they can't do it it's actually pretty fucking boring as a scene mm-hmm. but they, it, 
it it just built this kind of like love between um, Justine and Michael and made me fall in love with them as well. I was like, oh, I'm really happy for these two. They're really good together. And I know it's, it's not real. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that, is, that is well. <laughs> I really loved it. I loved, I loved that build up. I loved that setting of the relationship. Now, I don't know whether I was going crazy, but I did notice throughout the film um, that there was a lot of like jaggedy, like movements um, with the camera work, but I also have problems with my eyes, so I'm not. It's is, it is kind of sometimes filmed essentially like it's on a handheld camera. That's the feeling, yeah. When she's walking through the stables and such, which we know was Chris's favorite bit with the horse. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. She has. Well, that's although from it, that's the point where you see there's something. I wouldn't say off oh, because off's the wrong word because obviously yeah. she's clearly suffering yeah. and struggling with some kind of me mental. What you wouldn't consider normal. Yeah, behavior. exactly. That's so yeah. when they get to a wedding where you've got people running hours behind because you're late, your first instinct would not be to disappear off to the stables and say hello to your horse. Mm -hmm. You'd be like, oh crap, I've kept all these people waiting for two hours. Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? She doesn't want it. She doesn't want to be part of that party she doesn't want to be part of the marriage she wants to just get away and do her own thing and nobody's letting her do her own thing she's trying to put on this brave face and this smile because she wants to keep her sister happy and keep her brother-in-law happy and she thinks that by being happy it'll somehow make her family happy but it's not because everybody sees through it but I do feel for her because they've all got these fucked up issues amongst themselves like a, a mother is just this horribly distant person who just it just rags on her and just treats her like shit a father's just like a party animal yeah, he... doesn't have any interest in her and wants to go off with younger women and whatnot she's literally got no one who wants to i said yeah who wants to deal with her well she gets abandoned by her dad over yeah, and over not only, yeah, yeah. Not only the marriage marriage falling apart with her and her, her mother and her father to begin with which they're still bitter and still arguing and can't even shelve their hatred of each other on her wedding day they still have to snipe each other there. And then she gets, as you say, she gets abandoned by him again the next day when he didn't even have the courtesy to, to actually speak yeah. to her. Just leave her a note to say, sorry, I've fucked up. And the thing is, they all blame it on her. Her sister's like, don't have an episode. Her mum's like, maybe try and smile. Husband's like, oh, you know, we should be doing this, yada, yada, yada. The brother-in-law's like, I hope this is making you happy. And they all put it on her when it's anybody's issue but hers. I um I I did put that it's a terrible family. Um and I have put they're all very self-centered. And that is all about their the biggest drama for them is the impact that that Justine's mental health is having on them, yeah. not how to help Justine. So it is all about the impact it's having on them. I do think though that Michael does try. So he, like, he, I think there's that lovely scene where he presents with that picture and says, I've done this. And then when you're sad, you can look at it and it might help you. Because I don't think he fully understands the full grasp yeah, of... Yeah, no, I'll give him that, yeah. I do think he does try. I think, I, think there's, I think they're all trying in their own way. I think they don't... I think in a way they don't understand how to help. Because, as I say, I mean, Claire clearly 
has been looking after her for a while because she looks exhausted. When she's dealing with her, she's clearly trying to be as understanding as she can, but she looks exhausted by the entire thing. She looks mentally worn out by having to take care of, care of it. And then Kiefer Sutherland's character, John, John, isn't it? Isn't completely escaped me for a second there. John, it may, it may seem like he's, he's an asteroid, like, oh, this wedding's cost me a lot. But with the way that he, clearly the way that he's, he's based and the way that his life is run, he thinks if the helper go, oh, I can make you happy by spending, by treating you to this big lavish wedding, I can help you by making you happy by spending an absolute fortune on this. Yes, really shitty when he's like, look, you know what, I spent this much on you. Can you not be happy? But that's the way he understands from his viewpoint. So everyone's trying to yeah, help him. Yeah, they, guess, might, yeah. they might not be doing it in a way that you go, go well that's really not helping yeah that's really not helping her but i don't i don't believe they're nasty characters per se is. they're all they're flawed i think they're just they're flawed they're real people they are flawed characters and no, there's no one there i go they're vindictive because let's face it john could have had a kicked out of the house he could have just gone right now we're not having to sit here ever even after after she's struggling she's there and they take her in He's still tolerant. He's still got her there. He's still yeah supporting his just, wife I, and having her there. I wonder. I wonder how much of that is for the benefit of his wife, though, because it's obviously something that you know she. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying, um, but I do think a mother is definitely a nasty character. I think she's the worst of the lot. I just think that the. I don't want to say anyone's nasty. I just think that all self centered and they all they they don't like I said before they don't understand what Justine is going through they don't understand her feelings they don't understand their emotions because they aren't feeling the same so to them it almost feels like an attention seeking episode when it's and, not and this is the whole point of the film is that from what is happening with the end of the world and as people start to get more anxious and scared it's getting close to time not knowing what's going to happen that's what essentially depression is it's like you've got this fear of dreading you and sometimes you absolutely don't know why you don't know what's going to come you don't know what's going to make it better if anything so they start to experience especially Justine's sister Claire especially Claire Claire starts to feel what Justine's been feeling for all these years and as the film goes on Justine gets calmer and calmer because she's accepting a fear and she's like, well, we're all going to go. <laughs> There's nowhere to really go from here. So what is the point in worrying about this? And it just becomes a calming factor for her, whereas Claire ramps her up and she has a taste of what Justine goes through. Yeah, I guess as well, that one thing that really, I'm going to say resonated with me, but it does, is the, the, the pressure that was put on Justine to be normal from everybody. So not just a sister, not just the parents, not just the guests of the wedding, but her employer as well, the pressure to perform well at work and to you, you know be on hand all the time. Even down to the wedding planner, the pressure for her to make his plans turn out the way he wanted them. Mm -hmm. um, and he, even, I mean, Mickey is great in this, but he gives that line, he's like, she's ruined my wedding. 
I shall yeah. never look at and then it is quite amusing the way he does spend the rest of the film with his hand over his face every time he walks past her because it's just over the top but that's who don't care though isn't it <laughs> Even now to someone who doesn't even know because the wedding was planned by a sister primarily. Yeah. They're pressing on her for perfection um, is is far too much. So, um, And that, that's know, obviously when she becomes self-destructive with it and, you know. Even in that one day, her, her peaks and troughs, are like her ups and downs are, they're so relatable. And I don't think, you know, I think anyone who, you know, you know, who's who has any kind of mental health issues, just know, like, one minute you can be laughing your head off and the next you're like, I feel guilty now for having a good time. Yeah. And I hate myself for doing it. And you, you're just withdrawing yourself. Or, you know, you don't want to turn up to an event, but you, you've got to. And then you've got to put on that face. And the second you let it slip, people are like, what's wrong with you? Mm. And it's like, fuck like you know like and it's so intense so to to have that like especially on a wedding day you've been married I am but I can't imagine on your wedding day everyone expects you to be your happiest mm. so it's very intense the way that she's treated um I, I think the way she portrays the the depression after that as well is some of the best thing I've ever seen just the not being able to get out of bed to even wash yourself and even if you've got somebody there helping you, you're just giving up and you you just don't. She does it amazingly. She's so good at it. You were saying, weren't you, that you thought this was her best role? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, you said Drop Dead Gorgeous. I did say Drop Dead Gorgeous. <laughs> Dif- different kind of film. I know, but yeah. I know, but still. No, I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's the best role. I just say I think she conveys that absolute helplessness with it. Yeah. Absolutely brilliantly. And saying she... The sympathy and the care you have there. At no point do you, at no point are you watching the film go, oh, come on, sort yourself out. It's no, like, you're not. No, you completely go. Oh, you completely have that empathy with her because she completely sells this struggle that she's got. Mm-hmm. Although she does beat the fuck out of her horse. She does, and that was not nice. Did not like that. No, but that's depression again, isn't it? It's not being able to handle a situation in in a manner that you know you would normally it's like the sex scene when she forces which she does she pins him down and forces him to have sex with her um and then she beats that horse later on it because the, it's almost like a sense of control yeah she's not that she's taking back but with the horse i think that highlights that she still can't take back the control um and that's like you know quite a dramatic part for her um i don't know i I agree with you about Kirsten Dunst, Kirsten Dunst's performance in this. I like my notes is she's absolutely amazing, and I I literally pretty much every three lines I'm like, oh my god, she is ridiculous. Um, and then I was absolutely appalled to see that. Um, and I don't know when the film was released or if it's in, but she like didn't win an Oscar or even get yeah. nominated for one. I was like, are you having a laugh with me? This is one of the most intense performances. I have ever seen in my life like I you know the, many a times I were almost in tears for her mm. just going back to the actual subject of the film you know obviously if you are taking it for what IMDB tells you it is which is a sci-fi which is it's too late to be boxed but 
I, as you know, Mercer, I, and I've probably mentioned it on here before, I used to be terrified of, of the prospect of the end of the world. It used to freak me out, something rotten. And I actually went to see this by myself. And I think this film was what started me on my course to just not worrying about that shit anymore. <laughs> because it, it, I figured if I could go and watch it myself and be all right and come out and be all right. I, I got sweaty palms in places, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it were a bit rough going for a while. But... Um, yeah, it's fine. It brought me out of the side. And nothing in the film scarier for me than when she's made that tool to measure the planet as it's coming. And you see it getting smaller and you're like, oh, thank God it's getting smaller. It's all right. But then it just starts out growing it. And you're like, shit, oh my God, no, it's actually fucking coming. I think it's right, scary. This, this, is, this is my one area the film could have been improved in, right? So... What I what I wanted, I was I was saying the other day, I love I love the heavy drama. I also love also love slapstick comedy. What I'm hoping eventually will be a Lars von Trier Dogville style slash Zucker airplane kind of thing. If I'd have been making Melancholia, where she had the tool, it had the little metal bit. As we went on and on, and she kept picking it up, I'd have made it larger. So by the end. You know, had like a meter diameter giant piece of metal. She was struggling to lift. She was struggling to lift up. Give the people that little visual gag while they're watching the. Would you also have a running around the grounds to the Benny Hill theme tune? No, I wouldn't. Just that little thing. Just that little visual gag where you go, "Ah, oh, that's quite clever." Fair enough. Again, we can't we can't rewrite films. Sorry. I need to be honest with you. Huh? So once we got into part two of the film. I started getting a little... So after, you know, like, we have all that really dark, depressive stuff with Kirsten Dunst, and then it starts focusing more on Charlotte Claire. and John. Yeah, Claire, so Claire and John, yeah. Claire and John talking about the planet and, um, like, the there's the whole telescope stuff. And I got a little bored then. I was like, this is now starting to take a little bit longer than I want it to, because... I'm not really getting much. No, I can. I think it goes quite quick. I, the second part. No, I mean, I love, I love the film, but I can understand where most is coming. I think the first hour and a quarter does just shoot by. You don't realize you go for. A, I mean, the film's like two hours twenty minutes or something like that. And that first hour, you've and normally you go, well, this film's gonna feel. Most film, most films that long feel their length. Let's yeah. face it. But that first hour and twenty just shoots by. But that second hour. You could you could have shaved twenty minutes off over, over the discussion over the telescope stuff, I imagine. But then again, I want every film that I've shaved twenty minutes off. So I, I think in the in the same way that you get um, Justine's story in the first part and how she's dealing with stuff, I think it's important to see how Claire's dealing with stuff as well and how it affects her. N not only Justine's depression but the actual situation I, at hand as i say as well i think that i think there's a clear message with the hidden hidden depression and hidden anxiety with john as well because i say we clear we clearly know justine's struggling because although whatever brave face you may want to put they know she's struggling we all know she's struggling but john who's put his whole faith in the science-based religion science-based side of it and it's going to miss but He's got anxiety because he's stopped when he's getting all the fuel and stuff and he's getting all the extra batteries and all the bits and pieces. And he goes to just see, he's like, don't tell Claire. Not, it's not because he's worried about Claire worrying. 
it's him. It's the fact that he's put, he's got a face where he's like, don't worry, the science says it's going to happen, this is going to miss, blah, blah, blah. But he's got that under the surface there. He's struggling, he's like, shit, this is going to be awful. And that, as I say, I think that's a, really more of a commentary on just people who are struggling with anxiety and depression that you don't, you don't see because they don't exhibit those outward what you'd think of classic signs of depression. See, I think that's portrayed more with Claire than anything. I, I know we briefly touched upon it last night as well. And I said, you know, you could be right. That could be what it is. I just think a lot of it is down to human behaviour as well and human instinct. And when you put in a fight or flight situation, you're going to take it one way or other. And whilst he is putting all his faith into everything being okay, human like you know human instinct will go yeah but if it's not maybe you should just be doing this and you'll kind of have a backup plan in your head and i think that's what he's doing I in terms of stockpiling i suppose that's for you but everyone's going to take away what yeah yeah, yeah. it's the great the side of great everyone takes away what they bring what they bring to this movie yeah. so it's i can you can see it read both ways yeah completely understand yeah 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 i'm not very happy with the way that john deals with the situation um i'd you know, I wish that he'd have spoke to his family and explained to them what he was going through and 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 discussed what his plans were. Because ultimately, if if he knows that we the, the end of the world is going to come, I just think it's a shame he didn't opt to see that out with his wife and his child. Yeah, everybody deals with stuff differently, though, don't they? So, I mean. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It would have been, it would have been nice if he would have brought it to their attention. But I said this. This is a film that's dark. Let's face it, it's not an easy watch. It's not easy when we when we chat about this. It's it's easy to go. Yeah, we would we'd like someone to do something, but it's as I say, we can't rewrite these films, unfortunately. And it is what it is. But I understand completely where you're coming from, Mercer. Mm -hmm. It would have been nice should he have, if he'd have been having these struggles. They would have spoke to Claire and gone about that way rather than the unfortunate way it does end for him. I will say this though, and I don't often say this, but Kiefer Sutherland as well is really good in this film. Ah, you thought I was going to be pervy, didn't you? No, I, did. I, was. I did. <laughs> No, I was completely <laughs> impressed with um, literally everyone in this film is amazing. Obviously, it's Kirsten Dunst's film. Like, nobody can outshine her in this film. Although Charlotte Gainsborough is a very, very close match. But yeah, Kiefer Sutherland, I, I, you know, like, my mind with Kiefer Sutherland just goes to, um, like, action 24, like, a bit, you know, you don't really have to, oh, that sounds bad. You're not really, you don't really have to act as much. It's not like an emotional roller coaster. whereas this film very heavily relies on emotions and undertones and, all the kind of like character building and you know giving us scenes without like being overtly obvious like we say like his struggle with his own anxiety he has to give us that without overtly being oh look at me i'm anxious um but with subtleties and i think he he does an incredible job in this film in fact i say everyone in this film does an incredible job there is one character who i think we could have recast. Is it the child? Small child. 
it gets better towards the end, but the very first time we see him, and he went, oh, Auntie Charlotte, or whatever, Auntie Justin, I'm a little boy. I just thought, fuck off. I don't know what you've said because I'm not interested in you, little shit. Um, but he does get better towards the end of the film. He tried to help her in a really nice way. By he showing the end of the film. He sat on her bed and they were like, look, and he was just trying to get her to, he, he would be really nice to her, I thought. Like I said, I got a little bit bored with the second half, not towards the end, but just part of it. I, I think my biggest problem was the psychic part really pissed me off. I didn't, I don't understand why we did it. To, to show this, well, I'm assuming, and from what I read online, I won't lie, um, I did because I like to look up because I had a theory about it and I looked it up to see if I was right and I it, it yeah I work so um, I think it's to show that she this is the reason she's been struggling for all these years because she can't handle the weight of what she sees and knowing what's going to happen and stuff and imagine how boring your life would be if you could see everything that was going to happen to you imagine how daunting that would be. You get to see when you're going to be ill. You get to see when someone dies. And I think that's that's why she's been so depressed because she can't handle those feelings. She doesn't know why she's got those feelings or where they came from. So yeah. she ultimately, fact, that's why she acts out the way she, because ultimately, as she said, the whole, everybody's evil, everyone's shit. And she sees the way this is going to end. So what's the point in, she can quit her job. She can tell Stellan Skarsgård to go and fuck himself because... What's it? What does it matter? She knows within a day, couple of days, the world's going to end. Could do work in the same way she could have sex with the guy, the guy she's working with. Doesn't matter. None of what she does at that point from this wedding on matters because she knows that it's all coming to an end. Do you think she would have seen in the wedding that they were going to have onion soup at like three o'clock in the morning? That's my biggest issue with this film. I'm sorry, an outdoor, an outdoor French onion soup truck at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I I was quite at that point. I was like, "Oh shit, that boy is cold enough for sleeping with him." And he hadn't. And I'm like, "Oh," because like I don't understand why Michael left. Oh, unless he told her afterwards. I don't know how anyone. I mean, she wasn't exactly secretive about it, was she? It was in the middle of a golf course, an 18-hole golf course. Middle of the bunker. Didn't even fucking wreck the sandbag. So it's not as if she. It's not as if she's being subtle about it. You probably could have seen her from Honeymoon Suite. Well, Keith, I, I feel Keith like, Sutherland's got his telescope. He's, yeah, right. he's having a good old nev. Um, I, I feel for him a bit because, you know, like you were saying, he, Michael were trying. And I, I think, oh, I, I just felt a bit bad for him, you know. I I genuinely felt like they were in love. Um, I think he was. Mm, mm. I think he is with Kirsten Dunst, they must have been because they were too believable. Um, do you know what What I did love as well? I just jump. I like to jump. Something, because what we said, what you said earlier is, this is the end of the world and there's no escaping it. And I love the fact that even when Claire knows there's no escaping it, the first thing she does is try and outrun it. Yeah. By grabbing the kid and doing the runner. She's got no plans, nowhere to go, no real thought process other than I can escape this. Like, I've got to run. And it's just, it's quite sad because, like you said, I guess, like, human reaction is, you know, like, with John, oh, we're going to be fine, but what if we're not? It's just like, oh, it's going to end. But what if I can just get us to somewhere 
that's going to be okay. Are, are you uh, talking about from the beginning, from the from the thing? Because she doesn't try to run. No, it's the end when she goes. She goes to get put the kids in the car because she's, oh, like, she's like, sorry. oh, we'll go. she's I, like, we'll go to the village. I thought you meant from the ten. Sorry, I thought you meant from there. My apologies. No, um, I was uh, disappointed with the end. Oh, I was not. How did you expect it to end? <laughs> um, I didn't really want to see it. I think that's the difference. Um, you'd like, so you'd like, like them to have been sitting there and it just cut. And then cut. cut. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it was just too slow a build for the, like, because it's been... So, like, in these final hours, I it worked for me because it visually looked quite cool, the fire coming over the water, whereas this one, it was more focused on their faces and the changing of the light colour before the earth hit them and then it did that shot whereas i think maybe doing the, I, I might have preferred it if it did like that i know we're not rewriting but which is our thing for this episode apparently but the the changing of the night if it had changed, changed from music and then the music hit a crescendo and then silence and it went to black you'd be like oh fuck, that's a bit bleak whereas this just felt a bit more gratuitous respect to the rest of the film. I think you needed to see it to know that that was the definite end. Because if you'd have cut before, you could have had people say, well, maybe it started to retreat and maybe everything was all right. And maybe Kristen Dunst was just out of her head and she wasn't actually clairvoyant at all. And she didn't see all these things and blah, blah, blah. I think you actually needed to see it to know that there was a definite ending point of it and that this was going to happen all along and there was no escaping it and no avoiding it. Poisonally, that's what I think. This is what's good, isn't it? We have different opinions. We can be subjective and objective. Um, and that's what makes it interesting. Also, I think this is good like, that you picked Melancholia for the episode because horror is very subjective, in my opinion. And I do think there will be a lot of people who do say it's not a horror film, it's a drama or it's a, a sci-fi, um, whereas I, I do think this, like you said, the end of the world, what is more frightening and horrific than that? Nothing. It's, it's, it's in my horror category on my shelf, Melancholia, as does Watership Down, because... Because what's more terrifying than rabbits? Fucking killer rabbits. Right, so sum this up then, because I think we've given, given that as... For her going over as we're going to, and we're all in agreement. It's a gone. Before before we end, I've just got to say, right? Okay, I I didn't want to pick apart anything in this film. I really didn't because I fucking love this film. Um, but I'm not happy that Claire, when she makes breakfast, decides to serve one pancake per person. Please carry on as you were. If you if the world if the world's ending, cholesterol is the last of your just give me seven pancakes. Pancakes. We should, if you'd have said that before I went to do the end, outro, we'd have circled nicely back to where we started and I could have just went out from there. Sorry. Oh, well. Let me sum up this film, though. As I say, we, well, we can all agree it's brilliant. An absolutely tragic, gorgeous, bleak, spectacular, stunning, depressionistic... <laughs> masterpiece of a film from Von Trier with 
as Versa says, that cruelly overlooked Kirsten Dunst from the Oscars that year from her stunning performance. But amazing performances all around from the cast and a film that I feel very much deserves your vote as best nature horror. I thank you. So that wraps up our nature episode. Um, I will pass you over to Chris for the outro info. Outro, outro intro. Outro, outro intro. Outro info. Yeah, so as, as per our usual operating procedures, we'll pull out the poll for you the day after this episode drops. Please let us know which film you voted for and why you it's Melancholia. <laughs> or cabin fever or the ruins no one's picking cabin fever <laughs> no one's picking cabin fever i'd be happy with the ruins or melancholy ones they're both absolutely brilliant Agreed. films so please let us know how you voted and why if you want to get in touch with us please find us on instagram and twitter at spit grades we are i spit on your grades on facebook should you need to email us you can do so at electricpossums at gmail.com and please, if you've enjoyed the episode or any of our previous ones, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. It really does help us when you drop those reviews on there or click that subscribe button for your podcast player of choice. Thank you. So I guess that's it from us for another week. Would you like to say goodbye, Faye? Uh, yeah. Would you like to apologise for picking Cabin Fever? I am sorry for picking Cabin Fever. Goodbye. Would you like to say goodbye, Mercer? I will say goodbye, and I will say I'm not sorry for picking the ruins. And I will also say goodbye, and I fully endorse this film. Bye. Bye.